0: Chapter One, Section Eight, of the Greek View of Life, by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter One, Section Eight, Sacrifice and Atonement. In Homer, we find that sacrifice is frankly conceived as a sort of present to the Gods, for which they were in fairness bound to an equivalent return, and the nature of the bargain is fully recognised by the Gods themselves. Hector, says Zeus to Hera, was dearest to the Gods of all mortals that are in Ilios, so was he to me at least for nowise failed he in the gifts i loved never did my altar lack seemly feast drink-offering and the steam of sacrifice even the honour that falleth to our due and he concludes that he must intervene to secure the restoration of the body of hector to his father the performance of sacrifice, then, ensures favour, and on the other hand, its neglect entails punishment. When Apollo sends a plague upon the Greek fleet, the most natural hypothesis to account for his conduct is that he has been stinted of his due meed of offerings perhaps says agamemnon the savour of lambs and unblemished goats may appease him or again when the greeks omit to sacrifice before building the wall around their fleet they are punished by the capture of their position by the trojans the whole relation between man and the gods is of the nature of a contract. If you do your part, I'll do mine. If not, not. That is the tone of the language on either side. The conception is legal, not moral nor spiritual. It has nothing to do with what we call sin and conscience. At a later period, it is true, we find a point of view prevailing, which appears at first sight to come closer to that of the Christian. Certain acts we find, such as murder, for example, were supposed to infect, as with a stain, not only the original offender, but his descendants from generation to generation yet even so the stain it appears was conceived to be rather physical than moral analogous to disease both in its character and in the methods of its cure aeschylus tells us of the earth breeding monsters as a result of the corruption infused by the shedding of blood and similarly a purely physical infection tainted the man or the race that had been guilty of crime. And as was the evil, so was the remedy. External acts and observations might cleanse and purge away what was regarded as an external affection of the soul. And we know that in historic times there was a class of men comparable to the medieval pardoners whose profession it was to effect such cures plato has described them for us in striking terms mendicant prophets he says go to rich men's doors and persuade them that they have a power committed to them of making an atonement for their sins, or those of their fathers, by sacrifices or charms, with rejoicings and games, and they promise to harm an enemy, whether just or unjust, at a small charge, with magic arts and incantations binding the will of heaven as they say to do their work and they produce a host of books written by museus and orpheus who were children of the moon and the muses That is what they say, according to which they perform their ritual, and persuade not only individuals, but whole cities, that expiations and atonements for sin may be made by sacrifices and amusements which fill a vacant hour. How far is all this from the Puritan view of sin? how far from the christian of the pilgrim's progress with the burden on his back to measure the distance we have only to attend with this passage in our mind a meeting say of the salvation army we shall then perhaps understand better the distinction between the popular religion of the greeks and our own between the conception of sin as a physical contagion to be cured by external rites, and the conception of it as an affection of the conscience which only grace can expel. In the one case, the fact that a man was under the taint of crime would be borne in upon him by actual misfortune from without by sickness or failure in business or some other of the troubles of life, and he would ease his mind and recover the spring of hope by performing certain ceremonies and rites. In the other case, his trouble is all inward. He feels that he is guilty in the sight of God. And the only thing that can relieve him is the certainty that he has been forgiven, assured him somehow or other from within. The difference is fundamental, and important to bear in mind if we would form a clear conception of the Greek view of life. End of chapter 1, section 8